You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Bracken. Kirk. Do you like looking at yourself in the mirror? (laughs) Are you noticing that when we record, my eyes are only shifting towards my side of the screen and that I almost never look at you when we're talking? No, but now I'm going to. That's rude. And I'd like to say it's, oh, I'm just looking at the shoes, but I just, I like my, I like me. So I'm now I'm lo- if you look, well, I don't know how it is for you, but if you look to your left, you're looking at yourself. Right now I'm looking myself in the eye. Right. And how does that make you feel? Sexy. Yeah. No, I'm just I kidding. Get, I, I, no, I, I, I look at you or I end up looking at those. Uh, this is, this is probably what you're used to me seeing right here. And this is like, I see your half of your face or I see the New Balance RC elites. This is like my, uh-huh. this is where I look. Between me and the shoes, which makes sense. I can see how you would split time between that with your love for shoes. When you're talking, I'm looking at you. When I'm thinking about what I'm going to say, I kind of just glance at the shoes. They inspire me. They're my muse. When the eyes shift left, I know you're just paying patronage to yourself. So I got it. There it is. Yeah. It's almost like a lustful look. It's a little bizarre. Um, we got some feedback. I, I asked you for a certain reason, Bracken. I, I asked because we got some feedback about um, our next round of shirts. And popular demand tells us that people want your face on a T-shirt, Bracken. That seems to be the feedback. I just can't buy that. Well, I'm not making it up. I mean, that would be the most flattering thing to ever happen to me in my entire life. Here, here's my here's my issue with that, Kirk, is, is when you have these caricatures of people in black and white, it's usually an outline of their face with their distinguishing features. But when you don't have hair top or bottom, I don't really have like a face that you can etch a sketch. You know I what I mean? I like you could put your beard, you could put your, your hair on top. It would outline you. Me, it would just be like floating eyebrows and a nose. Teeth. <laughs> and some hazel eyes. Have you ever have you ever done that where you take a picture and you do like extreme grayscale and that's like you can you can like put a filter over so it's like you've been sketched? Yeah. I always look horrendous. You can't tell it's me because all my features fade off the page. There's no hair as the outline of the feature. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just an amorphous blob with my eyes and nose and mouth. Still nothing wrong with that. All right. Well, anyway. I just don't know if you could recognize me on a t-shirt is my point, unless you well, did like a... Do you recognize yourself in the sketch that we had made? Of course. There you go. Yes. <laughs> All right. There you go. Well, anyways, I just wanted to know if you could tolerate looking at yourself, uh, especially well, I wear it every day. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too. Just wanted to make sure. It'd be funny to wear ironically, like at races or places like that. It would be a little strange to wear it in public. Right. Like if you're at the grocery store and you have a picture of yourself on your own t-shirt, that would serve to be weird. It would be funny if it's clearly like a self-deprecating t-shirt. Like you making a a wild face and like you knew like 
that t-shirt was made as a joke but when it's a serious look like a stern like a a blue steel look and it's on your own shirt then people start to wonder like just how into this himself is this guy do you know the funny thing about our uh tuesday 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 shirt is the only day i don't wear it on is tuesday i don't know if you're the same way because i don't want to be the guy walking in the grocery store and somebody's like that guy wears the day of the week it is on his shirt (laughs) that is a problem and so tuesday is the only day i don't wear it and i don't know if i'm serving ourselves wrong there or not but do you do the same thing I find I wear it a lot Mondays. Hmm. Gets me in the 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 right frame of mind to to work for the. Well, week. we re- we record our Tuesday episodes on Monday, so that makes sense true. to me. Yeah, Lisa wore it yesterday. So Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. I'll accept it. All right. Anything else new with you, Bracken? Well, everybody knows what's new with me, but we don't know what's new with you, Bracken. We had our last camping trip of the week, or I mean, of the of the year, allegedly. And it was good. Out in the middle of nowhere. Your screen your screen name is tired today, so I assume that has something to do with, with it. Yeah, but it's bodily. It's muscular fatigue. I ran a lot for me last week. I ran. 20 miles. No. <laughs> Zing. I was 30, Kirk, but nice. that the miles are, are deceptive because three of my runs were done at 20 or 30% on the treadmill. And so you use indoor run on your watch and it gave me a mile and a half of running in 60 minutes of work. Right. So I was probably at like 45 miles last week based off the vert time. It's legit. It's legit work. That's my biggest week in a long time. Yeah. And, and, and a good amount of vert. I'm compulsive enough where like I need to go into Strava and manually enter my treadmill work so I can keep track of things appropriately because I'll forget if I don't. I don't know if you do that or not, but I wish there was an easier way to do it because you have to go onto your computer to do it. You can't do it through the app on your phone. It's annoying, but for tracking purposes, you yeah. got to do it. Strava really needs to get their game up and being able to do all the desktop edits from the app, changing totally. your shoes, adding shoes, updating treadmill. Yes, all of that should be able to be done from a phone. But I have fully embraced time over mileage in this rebuild, so I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't get my vertical feet. That's probably my biggest issue. If I don't go in and enter on the website like that hour, I might've got 3,800 feet or 2,800 feet or whatever it was. Like this morning, I got 2,800 feet in my workout, but I get zero for the day because it was a right a watch-based workout. So yeah, I got two and a half miles uh, and 60 minutes of work when in reality, I probably got who knows how many miles and 2,800 feet. That's just not going to show up. That's why mileage is garbage. That's why mileage is garbage. Unless you're a roadrunner. Um, Brack, another, uh, we're going to go flip side of the coin today for our training Tuesday. And again, this yeah. last time was your idea. So this flip side of the coin is your idea again. So I will let you introduce it. Well, last time we talked about the athlete who is stagnated. What do you do? And our response to most people was start your off season or at least take your your mid or late season break. But this is the this is the kind of the partner episode of that, which is I can't start my off season. I still have a race in 3 weeks or a race in a month, my last big race of the year, and I've stagnated. But I still have to race. So I'm going to follow that advice and take a good off season and rebuild and rebuild my base like you guys talked about, but I still have to get through this race. It's non-negotiable. So this is the episode to address what do you do in that case? 
Yeah, the exact flip side of the coin of our last conversation, which was basically, um, in a sense, sort of succumbing to the fact that you've played all your cards and there's no more cards left to play. Mm -hmm. And maybe it is time for a break. But if it isn't time for a break because you have races coming up, which, you know, we still have what? If you're looking at OCR, Big Bear is on the horizon. If you look at trail racing, some of the biggest trail races in the country are happening right now. And you don't have the luxury of taking a break. You're not going to take 10 days off of working out right now. Um, when you have a race in three weeks, I would say that's probably contraindicated. So then it yeah. is, how do we maximize whatever we've built and just sharpen the very pointy end of the sword in order to ma- like literally hit the ground running the best we possibly can and not care about what happens to our fitness the subsequent weeks? Meaning like, hey, if I had to run this race I'm peaking for even a week later, I may have actually lost fitness. Yes. We're talking about like the true peak the true sharpening and all abandon is gone for what actually happens to your underlying base fitness. You've worked hard to build. Isn't that about right? Yeah. And I would say that like we've done an episode on peaking, tapering and peaking. And I think people should listen to that. If they are following that path, this is really for, I haven't necessarily built to be able to handle a peaking block because peaking needs to be followed by a big, like it's the crescendo. It's the culmination of all your work. And this is, this episode is really, it's, it's, it's derived from the the last episode, which is I've stagnated, which means you got your periodization wrong, right? For Mm -hmm. maybe not wrong, but maybe you just held on too long. It was impossible to do it any longer. So like the, the crescendo isn't going to happen. And so this is like a skill peaking. And I, and I, I do want to differentiate between that because we talked about how to peak, how to taper, how to be at your best for race day. But we're at the point now where like going highly anaerobic and shortening our reps and lengthening our rest, would it help? Yes, but it also just might tip us further into the stagnation because we just might have eroded all of our, our underlying base or whatever it may be. But I believe that once your fitness has exhausted its potential, you can still move the needle on race day by sharpening your skills. And we usually talk that throughout a season, you don't want to remove pieces in order to add more pieces in. You need to sprinkle in new pieces on top of it and just change the percentage of what you're working on. This right here is the one time of the year where I say you throw the baby out with the bathwater. You get rid of it all and you focus on one thing and one thing only until race day potentially too, but it's skill work. You just prioritize peaking your skill, get it to the highest, most efficient it could possibly be to cover up any erosion of your fitness. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I still don't think you should throw babies out no matter the circumstance, but it's just not appropriate. However, um, I think the big thing that we're sort of outlining here is like, we're kind of talking about throw it, like throwing away the big picture. Big picture is gone. Correct. Big picture is gone. It means like, hey, I got one last race that I give a shit about that all I care about is showing up and squeezing every last ounce of my potential out, even if that means my building is going to cost me my fitness afterwards. Meaning like we are all eyes on the prize. Even the peaking, I use the word peaking. That was probably the wrong term. It was the wrong term because we're not trying to peak. We're trying to like not even patch job because that has a negative connotation, but we are just pushing your in. chips all in. Correct. You're all in on one thing. And, but the thing is, is you're going to lose after the race. Like those chips are all in and 
you may win that one hand, but ultimately you're going to lose the battle and that's okay. Cause then you reset and start over. So this is about like the specifics to get you there, squeeze every ounce of lemon lemonade out of that lemon and know it's going to be dry afterwards. That's kind of how I look at this. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Because we've, we've accepted the fact that our fitness can't be changed. We've accepted the fact that that boat sailed, that we either got it wrong or our season's just too long or we're burnt out or whatever it is. We've stagnated and we've accepted the fact that off season begins the moment this race ends. Exactly. So we're just doing whatever possible to wring every last drop out of this race. And that to me is time for skill work. Now we've talked about doing a block of skill work in the off season or as a transition piece during a season, but this is like a, a very sharp sharply formulated block of training. It's probably only two weeks, mm-hmm. maybe three, but it's just squeezing every workout you can out of a block to just move the needle one more percentage to get through this race. So I'm going to start with, uh, let's last time we started with global and then move down to fine races like OCR, fine meaning like very specific. Let's start with an OCR example. So let's say that we have an OCR athlete who has done a great job building their engine all year. They've done a great job working on everything. Their fitness has started to fade. They're struggling in races and they just have to get through one last race, but they know they've consistently struggled on heavy carries and big bear is going to have big, heavy carries. They know they can't change their endurance in two weeks. They can't change their speed much in two weeks. So they just go all in on heavy carries. So -hmm. let's say that every two days for the next 14 days, they do a carry workout. And they just alternate between grindy workouts and and casual workouts. It might be day one, they do Mount Majestic, which is one of our favorite mountain workouts where you do five-minute hill running, five-minute hill carry, five-minute hill running, five-minute flat. And they just keep hitting carries over and over and over for two hours. And then two days later, they do a casual aerobic carry run. Just do a quarter-mile carry, 1,200-meter run, 400-meter carry. 1200 meter run over and over and over. And they just repeat these type of things for two weeks straight so that by the time they get to race week, they've just spent six, seven hours carrying something. Their fitness might not be any better, but they know that on race day, at the very least, they are going to smash all the carries because their muscle memory is so fresh and their technique is so current on it that they've never been this good at carries in their life. And it's going to make up for some lack of maybe staying power or fitness. Yeah. Well, just taking a step back from what you just said, um, even just deciding like, what, what do I need to do or what do I need to work on? And you basically took a race, a race, uh, where you knew the course and knew maybe the potential, um, things that could break the race wide open for better or worse. You broke it down. You said two things. You said work on grindy work, which I assume you mean steep uphill grindy work and carries. The danger with that is, is let's say Big Bear, when you're listening to this, is less than two weeks out. We're cutting it pretty close, right? Because the week Mm -hmm. leading in, you don't necessarily want to be causing some sort of damage like that. So like, I would say like something like if you had two, three weeks out, that would be ideal. But it's like all your chips are in, which means basically every single time you are on feet, it's like, okay, Big Bear, for example, for those of you who don't know, it's a very steep mountain race you're running or power hiking at 30% or more grades a lot of the time. And you have these heavy carries there, which can break the race wide open. It can, somebody can carry the sandbags five minutes faster than somebody else. If you lose that battle, it can be really tough on your entire race. So what do you do? Well, this is my last race of the season. What does that mean? 
That means all of my quality work, everything is hard and uphill for my quality work. And then the carries are just done three, four times a week. All of my running is done on exactly the terrain I'm going to race on. And all of the carries are done in a fashion in which is going to emulate the terrain as well. So it's like all the chips are in. You're, you're not saving yourself for a sweet 5K two weeks later. You're not saving yourself for anything else. You're all in. Yeah. And so I just want to like outline that, take a step back, no matter what's coming up for you. But that would be the one example you led with. Exactly. And you're not getting your long run in. You're not getting your speed work Correct. in. Correct. You'd be worse at every single race after this, except for Big Bear. And then Big Bear, like you might not have your downhill wheels that you had six weeks ago, but we've already accepted that we've stagnated, but you're not going to be destroyed by the carries. So you're still going to be able to access all of your fitness after the carries. So it's just like slapping a really, really big bandaid over whatever your fitness issue is right now. Let's say opposite end of the spectrum. You've got Fenway in six weeks. You've decided I'm doing one stadium race or city field. My fitness is trash. Or if it's not trash, I'm just so fatigued. I've had a long year. I've raced 22 times and I just want to hit one stadium. And right after that, I'm doing my off season. Yeah. Well, you know what I would do? I would probably drop my volume down. I'd probably cut it by 20%. And I would do a OCR speed session. Let's say Tuesday. I would do some sort of circuit or Metcon work Thursday with stadium specific movements. And then I would do another stadium specific more of a, again, grindier, maybe a OCR threshold on Saturday, but I would only be doing movements that matter for stadiums. So it's going to be burpees with weight overhead. It's going to be hand release push-ups. It's going to be tuck jumps or box jumps. It's going to be stairs. And if I can't do stairs, I'm going to be doing lunges or hill reps, like mm -hmm. everything OCR 400s. Let's say you're going to do that every Tuesday, all the way up for the next five weeks. I would only be doing stadium specific movements as my OCR work. So it's like, I get done with this. I will be worse at a 5k, worse at a 10k, worse at a marathon, maybe mm -hmm. even worse at easy runs, but I'm going to be so well oiled to do the exact tests of the stadium. And then I get to take my, my off season right after. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you said something super important there. And I think everything that we are talking about today or going to talk about today, you said lowering your volume. Mm-hmm. Pretty much every circumstance, that is part of the equation, isn't it? Lowering your overall volume, because we don't care how long we sustain our fitness. All we do is care about showing up fresh-ish and ready for like the task at hand, right? So I think like it goes without saying, like lowering the volume is a big part of this. I assume you would agree with that. Yeah. And then just focusing on the nuances of the specific race you have. Long runs, out the window, exactly. Long run day on Saturday, that is replaced with a quality-specific, purposeful workout that is shorter than your typical Saturday that is all race-specific. Long runs, you can get away without doing those for two, three, four weeks sometimes if you're really in the right in the right habit. And, you know, when you get those people who are a little leery about decreasing their volume, and science tells us, you know, you're not going to lose anything within three weeks of as long as you're still doing the high-end work you're not going to lose any ability to perform in that first three weeks for sure, but you're going to show up fresher and maybe a little sharper. And so don't be afraid to do that. I just wanted mm -hmm. to hone in on that one point there. No, I like that. I, I mean, for OCR, the only other thing maybe you'd want to work on, let's say that, let's say you maybe chose a high rocks or a DECA or, you know, it'd be a specialty event that highlights something you haven't necessarily been great at transitions or heavy power output. Let's say it was a high rocks. I would be living on the sled for two weeks. That's not a sustainable type of fitness where instead of doing my 40 minute aerobic run as an easy day, I'm doing maybe 
20 by two minute sled pushes. And instead of my fast run intervals, maybe I'm doing 30 on 30 off with a thousand pound sled, you know, as, yeah. as a pro man, or maybe 600 pound sled for the pro women or 800 pounds for the open class men and 400 pounds for the open women, but something where you're just overloading one specific skill and you get there and you go, you know what, I know what, I'm not going to get any faster, but I don't necessarily need speed for high rocks. I'm going to show up and not break on the sleds. And all my lifting is going to be centered around uh, just like that chain movement of front loaded position. I'm doing front squats. I'm doing thrusters. I'm doing overhead press so that mm -hmm. I'm really good at wall balls and I'm really good at pushing a sled. And then I'm going to do a lot of heavy sled pulls and I might not even do my typical lifting. Instead, I'm going to do like lifting style sets on sleds. I might do three by five sleds where I put 1500 pounds on it and I just push for four steps and five steps and rest two minutes and do my three by five instead of single leg squatting. I'm doing it, pushing a sled. Like that's not a sustainable style of training, but you could improve your skill on that sled so much in two weeks. If you were to do, let's say 10 sled sessions in two weeks between lifting and running and whatnot, you would be a changed person for high rocks. Even if your overall fitness isn't better. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. I'm actually something I wasn't even planning on touching on. And then you just brought up the strength component and this goes no matter what the event, high rocks in particular, uh, OCR and Spartan in particular, but it could apply to trail runners or road runners. That is a really clear way for people to understand this. I feel like if you outline it to strength work, if you don't do any strength work for like, let's say two to four weeks, you're still going to maintain almost all of your raw power that you worked hard in the entire season to build except you're going to be super fresh for race day because you're not going to have any built up fatigue from those workouts. So transitioning something like your strength work, instead of doing back squats, let's find a more race specific movement or even apply it during workouts, like run workouts, that it's so specific to the race coming up that your body is just going to get super dialed in. Yes, four to six weeks from now, your raw power is going to suffer. You go back and get underneath the bar. Oh, shoot, my squat is 30 pounds down from where it was. But six weeks from now, doesn't matter. We're living like there's no tomorrow, which means like all we care about is showing up on Saturday, two or three weeks from now, ready to freaking dominate. And so even on the strength front, that actually would be a part of this for me, no matter <laughs> what race I was doing, would be like backing off the strength front, getting a little more specific with those moves, maybe even incorporating strength only during my run sessions and like getting super dialed in. So I'm glad you brought that up because... I think people can wrap their heads around like the strength front a little easier than they can like backing off running yeah. in a weird way. And so um, I, I think touching on that, that is important. And that is a component as well as like manipulating your strength work. If you're looking to sharpen as if there is no tomorrow. And in case we lost someone at the beginning of this, or they weren't, maybe they were doing something else and they miss our disclaimer at the beginning. I want to repeat this. This is not perfect world peak and taper. No. This is, I've stagnated and I'm going to do anything possible to maximize my skill on race day to cover up for my, my loss of fitness. This is not our peaking episode. This is our, we're throwing all our chips in to just get through our last race because our fitness has stagnated. So I want to be clear about that. This isn't what we would say, like, this is how we're going to build a 12 week cycle for our last race. No, this is, we're three weeks from the end of the season. <laughs> We've lost our oars, our rowboats just sitting here in the ocean. How do we possibly get to shore? That's it. That's all yep. we're doing here. All right. So I said I was done with OCR, but I have one more, one more piece here. So there are people who just did Tahoe or just did OCR Worlds or just did West Virginia, failed a lot of obstacles. 
let's say the big bears, their last one, or they're overseas and they're preparing for uh, the OCR series or whatever it is. And you realize I can't change how good I am at obstacles in two weeks. If it's going to be a Spartan you're prepping for, this might be the time to do like a hundred or 200 burpees every single day for the next 10 days, every single day, standalone hundred start AM and PM. And then every other day on your runs, drop down every mile and do 30 burpees and just get to the point where, okay, I can't change how good I am at obstacles. I'm still going to work on the skill work as much as I can during this time, but I'm going to make sure that when I fail things at big bear, because my precedent has shown that I'm not good enough to get through a course this year without failing. I can knock out a set of burpees and get right back to my fitness rather than getting my burpees in four minutes. And I can't lift my arms above my head for the rest of the race. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that. That's not good coaching. No. Just say, Hey, we can't work on your skills of, of obstacles. Well, maybe you can't, but let's get really good at burpees in two weeks. And I've done that. I did a, a while back when Joe DeSena did a challenge. I did burpees, hundred burpees a day for a month. And I got really good at burpees. And you know what? My upper body and my core really improved during that time too. And I lost a little bit of weight. Hmm. It's just, it's such a, his analogy of it just churns up the pool water is, is accurate. So it's something that in two or three weeks, you can see an actual difference just by adding in hundreds of burpees. Yeah. And I don't, I don't mean to hone in on this point too much, but it is like we're racing, like there's no tomorrow, meaning like we don't care what happens afterwards. Correct. So this is like, that just has to be another disclaimer. Like we're not giving you sound training advice, even really <laughs> in a weird way. We're giving you unsound training advice, which is just um, look at what's right in front of your face and don't worry about tomorrow in a sense, Yeah. which again, periodization, we preach it, but this is the point where where we're, we're past that. And I think like you, those of you listening who decided, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to take a rest, but I'm not going to do it until after X, which is reasonable. Most of you are probably thinking that like, you're kind of the candidate for exactly what we're talking about, especially if you feel like you've been wheel spinning a little bit. So I imagine we're talking to at least half of our audience right now. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> at least. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, the, I have walked into chiropractor's office with two different mindsets throughout my entire life. And it's probably split 50-50. The first is, all right, I had this issue reoccur after every big race or after every big block of training, and I can't have this happen in the future. So can you get me reset? Can you give me things to work on? And then all off season, I'm going to work on this. That's what we typically talk about doing here. But the other style is, hey man, I have a race in 11 days and I can't turn my head. Like I have to get to this race. I understand I shouldn't work. I shouldn't go do a race with my nerves and my back like this right now, but I'm going. There's nothing you can do about it. My ankle's terrible and my neck and back are terrible. So just get me to the start line, no matter the cost. And afterwards, let's address all my issues. Right. That's what this is today. Like we are just saying this isn't smart, but if you're doing it either way, let's do it the best we possibly can. I would say it's not smart. Smart is uh this is not sustainable. Yeah, it's not sustainable for sure would be the, the operative word. But if I can't stop you from racing, I should get you there. Let's teach you how to tape your ankle in a supportive way and let's get your neck as loose as possible so that you can at least use your fitness. Yeah. So what I would like to do here, just for the people listening, I think, unless you still had another point to make about the OCR stuff. No, I'm ready to move to to the other venues. Well, yeah, and I'm okay with staying on OCR, but what I would like to do is just pick a race or a style of race 
any everything from road 5k whatever it is coming up and just say like here is what here is what we believe like would be some ideas on sharpening or getting ready let's just like so people can start like putting tangibles to themselves because i know not everybody has big bear coming up in two weeks for example right. so i think if we just go down the line and start rattling off races and styles or what you got coming up and give you a few thoughts and ideas there i think that's what we should do yeah you're gonna you're gonna fight me on that no, I'm not going to fight you with that. I'm going to I'm going to stand hand in hand with you on that one, Kirk. Yes, sir. The one I hear a lot from people lately, both messages that we receive and then just people talking at races or athletes chatting is that a lot of people wrap their season up with a the last fall trail race of their of their area. Mm-hmm. Like we got one last one, the leaves are kind of on the ground, it's getting sketchy. This is the last big trail race we're hosting and then it's it moves into more of the winter months. Now this applies more to the Northern hemisphere than, than other parts of the, the world. But this is the kind of thing where you can't really change your, your trail fitness in two or three weeks, four weeks. There's some stuff you can do, but again, we're talking about, we've stagnated. You can change your trail running skill and ability in three or four weeks. So this is the time where I would say every single run, get on the most technical terrain you can find. Every single run, get on a trail that most closely mimics what you're going to do. There was one trail run I used to do at the end of the season, and I've been prepping for mountains all year, but I get to this trail run and the grade of the trail up and downhill was always super uncomfortable for me. I could go race Killington. I could go race Tahoe, but this trail system was just, it wasn't a stride I had used enough. That dumb 10%, 10% grade BS, that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And I... I had to learn, and I always tried to learn on course, how to figure out how do I best flow these downhills and attack these uphills. This would have been the time where all my remaining workouts, easy runs, recovering days get done on that terrain. My fitness doesn't change, but I'm just better at that. If it's a rocky, rooty course, you get 14 straight days of running on rocks and roots. You just find your little way of flowing through that better than if you've not tried it in months. Yeah, this goes back to... um for example, and I've used this a number of times now, but going out to elevation two weeks before Tahoe, a few years back for me, physiologically, is my body really producing more mitochondria and red blood cells in two weeks? Like, I don't even know. I don't think so. And if so, it might even be detrimental. But what I did know is I knew exactly what it was like to run at elevation every single damn day. And when the race happened, it was like just stepping out the door like it was another day and I knew exactly how it would feel. I knew how my body would respond and I knew exactly what I was going to get when I stepped on race course without any physiological markers changing. That'd be a prime example. And here you could do the same thing, which is, hey, your race is on technical terrain. It's a lot of steep up and downs. Great. Every day, guess where you're going? Guess what you're doing? And when that gun goes off on the race, you're going to be comfortable. It's not going to feel new to you and you're going to be ready for that demand. Yes, your 5K probably got slower. Yes, your leg turnover may suck. Yes, maybe your hips are even getting tight from all the up and downhill work. But for that course, on that day, that's what you need. Yes, that's exactly it. And your Tahoe example is perfect because I raced Tahoe that same year. Mm -hmm. And I went out the day before, Mm -hmm. which... I mean, the science says you get out within 24 hours of racing, 36 max, or you go after two weeks. Like that's, that's when you do it, but you went like kind of smack dab in the middle when you should be a bit more depleted, but you haven't started adapting yet. But the difference was on that first climb, 
I kept going back and forth between this is what I think my heart rate should be up here. And this is what my exertion feels like. And that's somebody I want to beat. And I didn't know which of the three factors to trust. Whereas on your first climb, you might've been at a reduced capacity compared to me, but you knew exactly how to max out that capacity. You know exactly what running at that grade at that altitude felt like and how you should approach it. Where I was waffling. I was trying to make decisions at a time when I shouldn't be. Yeah, that's exactly right. I had learned how to play that specific game of chess in two weeks. Yes. And you were still learning the game in the middle of the game on your way up because that's what happens when you go from sea level to altitude. Yeah. And I didn't know what it would cost. I looked at my heart rate. I looked at my exertion. I looked at the people I was racing, but I didn't know an hour later what the cost would be. And you knew. And what I might've walked, let's say I didn't because our fitness was, well, your fitness was better than mine and you were more prepared, but let's say that I had more fitness. I might've walked into the store with more money in my account, but you knew how much each item cost. Yeah. And so I was sitting there like, I don't know if I can or can't afford these things. I kind of have to wait till I get up to the cash register to figure out, all right, did I select my item? And you just walked up knowing. I know the cost of every single one of these things. And you got, you finagled it so that every single one of your cents got spent on course. And I was really unsure when the bill was going to come due and how much that bill was going to be for it. And that's a really unnerving feeling to have in the middle of a race is knowing, I don't know if it's sustainable. I don't know if I've saved too much. I don't know if I've come up an hour short in this race because I don't know this feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I like that one again. You're just coming through with these analogies lately. Very impressive. But that's what it really comes down to, though, is just being familiar with what your body's about to go through for all of these things. Right. If if your body knows it is commonplace, then you're able to maximize whatever you like. Let's say the example, I had less money, let's say, because I was at elevation, maybe even a little depleted, but I knew how to spend it. It goes for anything. Uh, It could go for your turnover in a road 5k could go for the carries and big bear could go for all of those things. And that's just like, almost like sure. Like it's like the aging athlete, the aging quarterback. Sure. He doesn't move faster than he moves slower than he did 10 years ago. Sure. His competition and these young up and comers are just crushing him and they're mobile on the field. Yet the old man who moves less plays the game more cerebral, cerebrally and better and still kicks the young kid's ass and still the MVP of the league. He's no better. In fact, he's probably worse, but it, but he knows what the game requires. So yeah. It's another way to look at it. Here's another example. And I really hope that this lands appropriately because I'm going to use a specific example I watched. So I spent some time on the treadmill last week, as I talked about, and I rewatched the women's Tahoe North American championship twice. And tell you what, Emma Cook Clark put on a show. I haven't seen either of them yet. But she was very, not but, she was very clearly the most fit, athletic, fastest person there. And she had what looked like no muscle memory in terms of transitioning and attacking the nuances of the race. She had things where it took her two tries to get up onto those rock holds to climb up to the top of the stairway to Spartan. But once she was on it, she just fired her legs to the top. She was so dynamic. Her her movement blew me away. She never slowed her work rate throughout that race, ever. It was astonishing. So, I I mean, we've talked with her. She's an incredible athlete and an incredible person. But if you're listening, I gained a whole nother 
layer of respect for your mental resiliency and just your physical fitness. You were like, you were an animal out there. It was a sight to behold, but she wasted so much time fiddling around with things, gloves, water bottles, refilling her water bottle. It just looked like the first time she had tried some of these things out on this course. And I I watched it and I thought, you've got another minute of time on this course. If you race it again in a week and say you were totally recovered, just in admin that you did Mm -hmm. on the course. There there were times where she was um, refilling her water bottle, but walking in, walking out or fiddling with it. And she got on Olympus and she put... You could, I don't know if she's done Olympus with the type of gloves she's had on before, but it's the type, it's a thing that happened to me my first time doing it. She reached over, but her hands sat on the glove a little bit and pinched it. And she went to move her hand and her fingers were trapped on the gloves. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of thing, like, you don't know that's going to happen until you've tried doing Olympus or Twister going matching hands and you've pinched your own glove. There's just more width there that you're not used to. Yep. And she had to stop, take her glove halfway off, put it back on with her teeth and then continue again. And she's just new to the sport. Mm-hmm. But it, this is the kind of thing where someone like her could spend two weeks on every single run practicing her bottle transitions, practicing her her gloves, getting them on and off, practicing all her little things. And her fitness wouldn't change at all, but she'd be minutes faster on course. Yeah, prime example. So I think it, it makes her, her race even more impressive knowing that the women behind her had to be perfect everywhere just to stop losing time to her. And she was out there just kind of casually tossing time away. And she was so fit, it didn't matter. But she's going to get to a point where she needs all those seconds. So that type of person, if you're not comfortable with your pack, wearing your pack on every single run, setting a timer and having to unpack it and repack it on the run every single five minutes. Or gloves on, put them away, gloves out. Little Mm -hmm. things like that. This is the time of year where you can change your race fitness without changing your fitness. Just by taking care of like the race admin. Yeah, that's a prime example. And I have not watched. Now I want to go watch. Check that out. I kept looking at her and thinking I couldn't get away with that. <laughs> not many could. She, she was just so good. Uh-huh. But it it looked like someone with a two decades worth of building a world-class engine and maybe two months worth of practicing OCR moves and transitions and gear, which is exactly what she is, right? right. So it shows that her ceiling is even higher, even if her fitness doesn't change. Wild. We were, um, we were talking about trail racing, I think. Mm-hmm. And we, we always seem to come back to OCR, don't we? It's hard not to. Yeah. Although Tahoe was very much a trail race with some obstacles. That's fair. The obstacles are kind of a, by the way, for the majority yeah. of it, but, but basically what we are, what you were outlining is do your course recon, understand what you're getting into, no matter the trail race, and then emulate that during training. And that does mean like, in my opinion, that means like hard efforts, like on your Tuesday interval session, Instead of going out on the roads and doing your fart lick or your one, two, three intervals on the road, you are just simply, I mean, we preach this all the time, like trained to the test, right? So to teach the test, as you say, but like um, outlining that, like what would be some specific work? The one thing that we're not giving people would be like, okay, I understand technical terrain and it's hilly. Okay. So go run on technical hilly terrain and do it all the time for the weeks leading up, regardless as to what happens to the other aspects of my fitness. But what we're not talking about with these is like specifically, like, I don't know how far into the weeds we want to get, but like some examples, like, okay, great. I get it. Run on technical hilly terrain, but like what specifics apply here? You know, you mentioned something about little shorter, faster stuff, 
with more recovery, for example, because mm -hmm. the more recovery you take is not necessarily going to build fitness, but it's going to sharpen your sword, so to speak, the very tip. Like, what do you have for examples? And maybe even if they're just universal examples, no matter the terrain. Well, this is the this is the unproven territory we're, we're moving into here, because I, as far as I know, I've never come across a scholarly article of a, of a scientific study regarding stagnation and what to do for three weeks for building fitness or maintaining fitness off that. Mm -hmm. It's just not like a, it's not an area that anyone spends time researching in because they spend time researching how to not get to this point. Right. But so I would kind of split the difference between a classic build and a classic taper where I would have one workout per week where I do shorter, faster intervals, and I take more rest than I would typically do, just so that you can give your body a break, but absorb all the reps. And a lot of times when we stagnate, our form starts to just droop a little bit. At the end of the year, sometimes people's stride just looks like they've practiced a bad habit. Mm -hmm. And this would be the time to get good, solid stride work in. And with the extra recovery, you can ensure that every step of every rep is good. And that, that goes back to uphills and downhills. If you're transitioning, let's say you're doing your one, two, three, fartlek. Now you're doing it uphill or downhill. Well, every rep, you want it to be race specific. So you want to make sure that maybe I'm taking a little slower rest on that fartlek, but I'm making sure that every downhill step is perfect. So that's the mm -hmm. first place I would start is start with a bit of those classic sharpening tactics where you do shorter reps, maybe faster, maybe same pace, but longer rest. Yes. That'd be the first sort of the yeah, gold standard I would go to like sort of like a, I mean, peaking phase type workouts. You're kind of like, yes, the, the threshold and tempo work is always important, but you might just, if you've been doing it all season, those kind of get thrown aside a little bit. And, you know, we're not, you know, even if you're racing an hour long race or more, a two hour long race, those of you who are running half marathons, marathons on the trails, there's a lot of 50 K's coming up 50 milers. These fall races like to get pretty long. Um, that's still time and place for like faster than race pace, more intense on the terrain, given the circumstances and, yeah. and, and more rest. So like, I, I immediately go to that. Like, am I going to do, you know, a 45 minute tempo run two weeks out from uh, a huge race that I know like that is the end. And I've already been doing tempo runs like that. Probably not. I'm just going to look at getting more efficient at faster paces, for example. But here's where I'm going to throw in the opposite side of the coin, which again is totally unproven. This is pure anecdotal evidence here. But when you've stagnated, a lot of times you're mentally stagnated against efforts or paces. You're starting to feel crappy at the start of every run. It's taking longer to warm up and getting into workouts. You just can't mentally get up for running those paces anymore. So this is where I would do kind of more of a, a buildup workout. We're tr transitioning from base building to real workouts. A lot of times you do cut downs or you do a lot of work that starts high end aerobic and then cuts down and maybe your last couple miles are fast. I really like to do those type of workouts this time of the year where I've stagnated. I'm not going to change my fitness, but I can change my mindset coming into races. Just had a motorcycle startup. Sweet. So I might go do this run and that I love doing in my build before I start real workouts where I will do, I set my watch to beep for thousands. Every kilometer beeps instead of every mile. And I just do a kilometer really slow and casual. And then the next kilometer, pretty slow and casual. And the third kilometer, 
just regular slow and casual. And then I start to pick it up a little bit towards like aerobic threshold pace. And then the last four or 3K, I start ripping it. At whatever point of the workout, I start feeling loose and start feeling excited. Like, oh, I kind of feel good today. Then I rip it and I'll, I'll run the last couple kilometers fast. Almost like I'm closing out a race fast. But at the end of the day, there was only 10, 12, 14 minutes of actual work that got done. But your stride was kept clean the whole time. And you mentally built to the point where you were seeking out speed. And you were wanting to close fast. Mm -hmm. And that's what you need at the end of the year. You want to be mentally seeking out speed rather than shying away from it. And so my week would contain one of each style so that I could still keep my wheels to some extent, but it's only happening on the train I'm going to do. And then again, one of these only on the train I'm going to use, but I build into it, build into it, build into it, rev it for a bit, and then stop the workout before I start to truly hurt. Yeah. And that principle can apply to even interval work, like structured interval work. You could say, Hey, I know I'm at the tip of my spear right now, as far as all this goes. And I'm, I'm on borrowed time and I need to get to this race. And I am feeling the, the weight of the season and I'm a little fatigued. Know what that means? Let's say you're going to go out and do three minute intervals. Well, your first three minute interval, you're purposefully going to sandbag it. And your second one, you're just going to be a little quicker, but well under your potential. And then you're, by the end, you're going to be right where you should or a little faster and you're going to build. And what happens when you do that is you touch on those energy systems, but you don't accrue the same amount of fatigue, which mm -hmm. means, will I see the benefit from this workout like I would if I went ham from rep one? No, but I'm keeping all of those, uh, you know, pistons burning and getting me to race day still fresh, ready and hitting all systems that I need to. So like basically what you're doing is you're touching on everything you need but you're not accruing nearly as much damage or fatigue, which then helps you show up on race day ready to rock. Yeah. So I like that style. And I wouldn't get much more. I don't want to get much more specific than that because everything else is going to come down to specific skill-based weaknesses that you can try to shore up. Like doing, doing carry runs or doing runs where you're just repeatedly running casually and then hitting a downhill fast because you know this downhill on the course is going to be like this and you're traditionally bad at it. Like it's hard to really tell everyone a one size fits all workout for that, but we've all done workouts in our buildup that we know we like, and it's choosing that and adapting it to that workout. Because again, we don't care what it does for our fitness three weeks, four weeks from now. We just care about the race and that's it. Yep. 10 days off afterwards is 10 days off. We don't care if our, our numbers drop during that time. Yeah. Then you start fresh with a completely clean piece of paper, clean slate, and then you can mold your next endeavors or fitness and however you want. So yeah. as far as trail running goes, then um, do we have anything else you want to add to, to that other than race specific train, duh, do it all the time, duh, anything there? I'm going to kind of lump trail and road in together on this last one. Okay. Cause I want to get to road for sure. Cause a lot of people like to end, like, for example, my athletes and a lot of you out there are going to nod your head to this. We've worked so damn hard all year. And I wanted to touch on this regardless. And it's a really good place to be like, okay, I think I can't go anywhere. Let's end the season with a time trial. I haven't run a 5K in six months. So let's go rip one out and then take our rest and see if we can measure our improvement of fitness. So, and that's typically road track. Like I like to end every season sometimes like that, just to know before I, you know, clean the slate and start over again. So yeah, lump them together, but I do want to touch on road is what I'm getting at. What I'd like to do with most people is balance the equation of their year at the end of the season when, again, fitness isn't going to change much. 
but we can change a little bit the needle one way or the other with some just some variation almost. And at this point of the year, most people have built and extended and built and extended and built and extended. And this would be the time where if you've been prepping for a half marathon or a marathon or something 10K or longer, you might just hit the track or the road or the treadmill and do some short, really fast things. Cause session two is going to feel really awkward and uncomfortable. And session two might, or session one will feel awkward and uncomfortable and maybe even painful with your stride. And session two will feel like that maybe worse. And session three, you're going to feel a little bit better. And you're just going to change your running economy slightly. And sometimes when we stagnate, it needs like a jolt of electricity. Like you've built up a big body of work, but Again, your stride might have sagged a little bit. Your turnover might have dropped slightly. You've been doing a lot of long, hard work, and you might have been practicing bad form. If you can just do like four or five quick, fast, non-damaging speed sessions over the course of two weeks, you might reignite some of that engine you had that had gone, like the pilot light had kind of gone back out. Mm -hmm. Speed work can relight that. Just like throwing a little gasoline on the fire. Yeah. Flare it up right away. Train like mm-hmm. a miler for two weeks. Yeah. It's not going to change your fitness. It'll change your fitness four weeks from now when you can't run a good tempo or a good long run anymore. But for two weeks, all it's going to do is make you feel fast again. And sometimes that's all it takes. Do you have like any, just like without spending too much time on it, do you have any, like, if you just want to like throw a few things at the wall, see what yeah. sticks as far as workout types go? I mean, I really like a 200 meter workout where you build into it, but you just run 200 meters fast and then you turn and walk diagonally across the track back mm-hmm. to the start. Like the old high school workouts, I feel like you yep. do that. In. And just run that and run six to eight of those where each rep you're running it as well as you can run it. You're not trying to run it as fast as you can run it. It's kind of like a Richard Diaz thing. You want to run well, not necessarily mm-hmm. fast. You have to run well before you can run fast where every stride, you're just trying to run the prettiest running form you can possibly do and turn over a little faster than you think you should and bring your arms up in front of you a little higher up towards your chin or your ears than you think you should and pump them back a little farther behind you than you think you should and just try to over-exaggerate the very best form you can do. And day one, you might only make it like two or three and by four, your form starts to sag again and you cut it off. And then you do it again a couple days later and a couple days later. I think that's one of my favorites for you don't take much damage in that workout, but you can start changing your form for the better. Yeah. 30 to 45 seconds of work, certainly not going to improve your fitness and your aerobic capacity, but going to improve your efficiency and, and run economy and might move the needle more than any other type of workout for you. So let's put some numbers on that. In college, when we would run workouts, let's say we were going to run eight to 10 by 200 with walk or jog rest in between, we'd probably be running 26 or 27 seconds for each one of those 200s. Mm-hmm. Would that sound about right? Yeah, I was with the 1500 crew, so we'd be running 27, 28, but yeah. Okay. So my first one here, I'm going to run, and in my head, I'm be like, oh, I'm so uncomfortable. This is so fast. This is like a 28, and I'll come through in 32 or 33. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. realize, oh man, I'm in trouble. And my next one, I'm going to shake it out a little bit, take a few extra breaths and run it better. And I might run 32 or 31 and then 30. 
And then my last one, I'm like, I'm going to rip a 27. And halfway through, I start to like rig up a little bit, tie up and cross the line at 29 high and be like, that's it for the day because I'm going to do something bad soon. I only get four in. I barely break 30 by the end. But a couple of weeks later, I start the first one at 30, feeling like, oh, I could have ripped that one a little more. And it just starts to come back down. I never get back down to 27, 26s anymore. But I can start running 29, feeling the way 33 felt just a week, week and a half prior. Yeah, for sure. I experienced the same thing. Older you get, you experience that too. Oh yeah. I've been noticing that yeah, in my years. So would you suggest that then? Let's say you are, you want to rip a 5k time trial to see where you're at a 10k time trial. You have a half marathon, even a full or something, uh, but you've been racing other stuff. And this is just uh, you know, I've always wanted to know what I could do in the marathon and I've been training for other stuff. I'm going to do it. There's a handful of people in that camp. Are you suggesting that that short, quick, like that biomechanical efficiency work is that really like what you're focusing on in this time is is that what i'm hearing yeah i mean if i only have two weeks why not yeah i can't change my fitness i i'd also do my other one i really like which is 400 meter fast 100 meter float times 11 to 12 okay you know 11 to 12 reps of 400 meters with 100 meter float just running each 400 run it well yeah. Your first one sets the time range for what you're trying to do after that, but you don't go out trying to run a pace. You're trying to run well. Meaning not letting your form break down, keeping yeah, yeah, good posture, things like that, which a lot of people don't even know what that is or feels like. But for those of us who are in touch with that, it's important. Yeah. Yeah. Just run like someone attractive is watching you. Yeah. Go back to that, right? Yeah. Your crush is sitting there watching you run laps. Tall, proud, puff that chest out. Run quick but don't be gasping. No one wants to see you bent over and gasping after a rep. They want to be like, wow, that person's fast. And look, he's totally unaffected. That's, that's mm-hmm. how you want to run this workout. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But that's it for two weeks. I don't, again, I don't think doing endurance work can move your needle. Is it going to make you run your best race? No, but it's going to, again, just kind of like stoke the fire a little bit, re-engage some of that work you've done throughout the year. And even if you can't do what you used to be able to do, you'll be a little smoother trying to do it. Mm-hmm. So do you have anything else to add as far as the roads go, no matter the distance, as far as this, you know, run out? Okay. So, you know, if you are a trail runner looking to hop on the roads, um, you know, we don't often preach like getting on the roads, but in this circumstance, it kind of would be like, get your body used to that impact, get on the yeah. roads, you know, do your work on that, that type of terrain, which I think are givens at this point, you know, train to the test, but, or teach to the test, but, um, same principles apply then, right? You're talking shorter intervals, potentially more rest, no matter what it is, whatever you come up with in your head, um, same principles apply, correct? Like if we're just looking pure running getting the shoes you're going to race in. That's why I like starting with four to six, two hundreds. You're, you're going to be a little sore running in your road shoes on hard ground, running yep. fast. You build into that impact again too. And two weeks is enough to get that, that elasticity in your muscles used to a firmer contact as well. Okay. And then I think the question is going to arise no matter what it is, OCR trail road, the week leading into this. I know this is it for me. I know that this is, you know, I'm putting all my chips all in uh, for this one event. And then I know I'm going to take my rest afterwards, which all of you should do. I don't care how compulsive you are with your exercising. A true reset is important. Okay. Like what does that last week of lead in look like? If we're talking about pounding the skill that we need in that last week, everybody's wondering what to do anyways in any race circumstance, but this one in particular, this is it. 
What does it look like? like? What does it look like to you compared to normal? I take the same last week that I would take before any big important race, the exact okay. same last week. And maybe I give myself a reduction in volume compared to that or an extra off day. But like if whatever my world championship prep week was, I'm just going to repeat that here. I stick with what I know and I'm going to arrive extra rested because you've already been dropping volume a bit. That's all I'm going to do. I'm not going to, I mean, there, could you get cute with that week? Yeah, but I'm not going to. Okay. So we're not, we're going to, we're going to not pound that skill work. Like if let's say you need to work on the carries for a race like big bear, we aren't carrying every day of the week leading into big bear. We're kind of considering the week of maybe touch on it a little bit, but the work has been done. We're not looking to fatigue ourselves or do, you know, everything we've outlined. We're talking more like that two to three weeks out, aren't we? Versus like the week of is what I'm sort of getting at. I would probably do my last physically damaging work Monday. Depending on your level of work, you could do it Tuesday, but not if it's something like a downhill. I would still do carry work Tuesday, but it would be short and sweet. It would just be getting some reps in to make sure my muscle memory is perfect. But mm -hmm. I wouldn't be down doing downhill work that last week. I would do uphill reps up till Tuesday, but they would be short and flat ground work all the way up to Tuesday, but that's it. Just nothing past Monday or Tuesday that could even possibly leave you sore or tired for the final race. The week of a race, what do you think the longest amount of time you should spend per rep should be in an interval session? Where's your, where's your ceiling there as far as time? A race like an end-all be-all race, like this is it. Oh, you know, I would say 60 seconds. Oh, really? I would say that low typically, but there are, I said, ah, you know, I did another of my, my Wisconsin. Ones. I didn't catch it. But there are a few workouts I like that are longer. I really like doing a short, just two rounds of the one, two, three fart like on race week. Because right. it's not damaging at all. Three minutes fast, three minutes easy. It's a three minute rep, but it's not that hard. And I, I, it's only happening for what? 10 minutes or something like that. Like it's just so short. A minute's worth of work. If you yeah. That, so out, yeah. I would say 60 seconds if I'm doing standard interval work, but that one fartlek work I really like. So I can't give a hard and fast rule, Kirk. I'm sorry. Three is my hard cap, but two is even more ideal. I think and not and from, from what I think, but 60 seconds, that's short, but that's how we're, that's what we're talking. Like we're not looking at mile repeats or even for most of you at that pacing half mile repeats. We're looking at pretty short, open that stride up, get efficient, get, remind yourself of what's coming up and overstimulate and then back off. That's it. I did a workout with a few of the athletes I work with leading into OCR worlds where their final workout was full race, warm up, three to five or four to six strides, cool down. That was the workout. Wow. Cause there was nothing to be gained, but they got in the mindset. They got in the rhythm, what's going to happen to race day. And that's it. Like, the work doesn't have to be done. The system just has to be used. The muscles have right. to be taken through their paces. And, you know, if we're going to toot our own horn, Michelle Aiken was one of the athletes that did that. And she won her age group at OCR World Championships. She had a great weekend. Obviously, you look at that and you find the result you want to find. She won her sure. age group at World Championships. The week must have worked. That's not my point. My point is it didn't it didn't stop her from accomplishing her goal. Right. A goal which I think she would say was at the high far end of attainable. So it's like I was willing to trust that to a world championship event.
That's how yeah. much I believe that what you do in your final week doesn't matter as much as it matters that you have to spin your wheels over. And for, mm-hmm. for her, that meant a full race warm up, strides, cool down. Yeah. She had three races that weekend Friday, Saturday, Sunday. She was going to be racing a lot. She didn't need fitness. She didn't need fatigue. She needed to turn her legs over. Yeah. Yeah. We're basically outlining like cram it in all the skill work you need, just shove it into like a two week block and then back the heck off that last week leading in. It's just like a test in college. You remember cramming for tests in college and you cram and you would remember it. And as soon as that test is done, you forgot it all. Like it didn't even register. And that's almost kind of what we're outlining in like the physical sense is like you're cramming for the test and then you're just going to vomit it all out of your system and body anyways when it's done. Cause you're not, it's no way that's going to pay off long-term. Exactly. But that's not the point. You're getting yourself to the test. And so that's kind of, I guess how we're outlining this. I just had to try to throw an analogy in there. That was a perfect one, Kirk. We should have just led with that and ended the episode. Shoot. Anything else you want to add? We want to hear your results for this because we outlined a few things to work on, but there are so many unique individuals out there. I'd like to hear messages of what people, after the fact, what they decided to do and what it, uh, what it gave to us or what it gave to them. Us, like I feel invested in your results now. <laughs> How did we do in this race, guys and gals? Tell me. I'd like to know. And, and this is what I tried and it didn't work. Thanks, jerks. <laughs> or this is what I tried and you know what? I actually saw some improvement on some of these things. Mm-hmm. Like if you live on the assault bike from now to Fenway, you might have a really good assault bike or your, your stair running might be terrible. <laughs> you know, let's find <laughs> that out. Yeah. I like it. I think that's a good way to, uh, to wrap this thing up. Kirk, it's great seeing your lovely face and your man bun today. Thanks, man. You notice I shaved for you too. For those of you who can't see us, which is everyone except for me and Kirk, Kirk's beard is gone mm-hmm. and now it's a... Uh, well, it's, it's approaching a beard-ish, but it's really just more of, what would you call it, uh, a 25 o'clock shadow? Yeah, let's call it that. Yeah, 25 o'clock shadow. Yeah. For you. That's a week's growth for me. How long is what you have going for? What is that? Uh, this is, I shaved 24 hours ago. I stand by the fact you could have a fantastic mustache, and I think the people would pay to see that, in case you're wondering. <laughs> I don't mean to put that out in the universe, but if you could see Bracken, like his stubble, his his upper lip is filled in already after 24 hours. So I'd be like an old-timey boxer, bald head, twirled-together mustache. What does that mean? They're not push-ups. They're called earth-downs. Earth-downs. There's always, like, <laughs> always a picture of that bald boxer on there like, yep. being badass. Yep. Maybe, Kirk. Maybe. All right. Well, I don't know. Maybe you could petition for that too, listeners. Maybe no shave November. Ooh, I like it. (laughs) 